Welcome to Deep Dive MKE, a podcast that explores how City on a Hill is transforming communities and families worldwide. Join us as we dive deep into conversations with individuals who understand the journey out of generational poverty and its trauma. I'm your host, Art Serna. Let's dive deep. Welcome to the segment of the Deep Dive MKE podcast. I'm really excited to be here with an incredible person, Andrea Popgood. She is the manager of our operations and HR functions here at City on a Hill and does incredible, incredible work. We'll see what we learn about her life at City on a Hill and outside of that. Andrea, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I want to start with this question We talk a lot about the values that inform City on a Hill, one of them being joy. Can you tell us about a time where joy made a difference in your life that allowed you to accomplish something, get through something, or just enjoy what was going on around you? Tell us about joy and Andrea. Joy is something that is very interesting because you can have joy in the midst of sadness. And that is something that I've learned recently because last summer my husband passed away and it was something because I still had joy in the midst of it, even though there was months and months of unhappiness of being sad, but there was still joy there. If that joy had not been there and that joy for me comes from the hope and the dependence on Christ. And if that joy had not been there, I would have been a basket case. Many people were saying how impressed they were with how I went through that and everything. And I just sat back and said, you know what? It's not me. It's because I have always tried to keep God at number one space. Like he's number one in my life. My husband was not number one. He was number two where he should be. And so when everything happened and through the entire journey, I never lost my joy. I always had that peace that surpasses all understanding because of that joy. It wasn't a happiness or sadness or specific event that keeps me joyful. It's because I know who I am in Christ and I know what he's done for me. So that was a relationship for you. Yes. Wow. When did that enter your life? The significance of your engagement with Christ and how long is it? Five years ago, a year ago, 10 years ago? Tell us us more about that, how that joy came into your life and how you've sustained it, kept it, that, how's it used? Flame Mm -hmm. burning. Yeah, yeah. I would say probably when I became a mom, because you can lose your identity when you become a mom, because I'm this person's mom, I'm this person's wife, I work at this place, all these titles are there. And so then it became, it came to a point where I just didn't know who I was anymore. And so then I said, okay, who am I? And that's when I really like surrendered my life to Christ. And that was probably about 26. Six years ago, about 26 years ago. And it was just a moment where it was just like, okay, what am I going to do? I know this is meaningless, just making money and doing this, but I want to leave a legacy and not maybe a financial one, but I want, I want to be missed, you know, and how will that happen? And so then I just learned to not let the outward circumstances affect me. Yep. They will make you sad or things like that, but I would just keep going. I'll always have a smile on my face. I always say, okay, God, what am I supposed to learn from this? Okay. What, what am I supposed to do with this situation? How am I supposed to pivot with this? And then when things or people would let me down that I was dependent on, I learned to say, okay, well, I'm not going to let that take my joy. I'm not going to let that make me feel a certain way. Okay, God, what am I supposed to learn from it? And so it was just different circumstances, I think, that led me that way. I have always gone to church haven't and got knowledge. But I think that once I got older, like I said, my later 20s is when I really learned how to make that a relationship, not just religion. 
imagine. Well, we're really in sync because <laughs> I actually was just going to go there with you. So we know probably a lot of our listeners have been to a church, have been to a Sunday school, have heard about God, have heard about the teachings of Christ. But that's not what I'm hearing from you, though. It was different than that. It was different than a curriculum. It was different than an institution. It was different than a character in history. Take me to the moment or the season of surrender, because many have heard, but perhaps they've never made the decision. You used the term, when you surrendered, there's something there I want to learn from your experience that's unique to you. What was the hardest thing in the surrender for you? What did that mean? Because you had to give up something, I imagine, to, to do that surrender that I think could be very powerful for us to learn from. So tell us about that for you. What did it mean to surrender to this person? You know, some people have experiences where it's like all or nothing and they can just stop cold turkey. And then some people, it takes time and they have to have the knowledge and they have to get all these books and all that stuff. For me, it was a time in my life where I've had a lot of, when I think back on it, I don't think of my life as tragic, but when I think back on it, my dad passed when I was 12. My mom passed when I was 24. My husband went to jail one year after we had been married. And when he went to jail in January of what, 90, I think it was 92 or so. And then my mom passed March of 92. And I was like, God, you know what? I'm done. I'm done with you and I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And I did just that for three months. And so I lived that life, partied. I was going out every night. The clubs were open and everything. And then in June, when me and my son, I took my sister, she was graduating from high school and I took her to Mall of America. It had just opened and everything and went there and had a wonderful time. When I got back, I said, I knew that something had to change. I knew this wasn't the life that I was supposed to live. So I can't say that it was like, oh, I had this revelation moment. It was just, I was sitting at the kitchen table and I was like, something's got to change because I know this is not it. Just like the Bible says that train up a child where they should go and they won't. So I departed from it for a minute, but then it was just something in me that was like, this isn't right. And I called the the pastor that did my mom's service and I told him, I was like, hey, I've been doing stuff I know I shouldn't be doing. He led me through the sinner's prayer. I prayed it sincerely and I know it's not in a prayer, but those words did something to me by me speaking them out loud. And from that moment on, I didn't go out anymore. I was not going to clubs or anything. Thing. That was a Thursday. I can still see it. And that Sunday, I started attending his church. And that's where that whole surrender came from me. Changed all my friends, like in a split second. I won't say changed them. I changed the relationship with them. So I wasn't going out anymore. I did things that I knew that I needed to do. Changed my phone number so that certain people couldn't contact me. So I took the steps that needed to be taken. And I was at church and I got into a Bible study and I just started from there. Wow. So we talk about community at City Hill, a community, a transformation, people that have experienced trauma. We talk a lot about poverty and eradicating poverty. And really, poverty means many things. It's not just economic poverty. It can be relational poverty, physical health. But we talk about in that journey of transformation, you need a community of people. Sounds like in your surrender, your community changed. But within a community, there's values, there's beliefs, there's accountability. So as you begin to shift your community, like you said, how did Andrea begin to change? How did your purpose begin to have an evolution during that time? 
it did start with a Bible study, Experiencing God, was the first time I was fully exposed to the Holy Spirit, I believe. I grew up Lutheran, went to Lutheran church and school, first through eighth grade. And then when I surrendered, I started going to a Baptist church and we were doing a Bible study called Experiencing God. And that really taught me not only about the Trinity, but each person of the Godhead. And in that, it really showed me that he wanted to have a relationship with me. And so that was awesome, you know. So then I just hanging out with the older church ladies and learning a little bit from them and everything. And then it really was just me. I just say, always say it was me and the Holy Spirit for a long time. It was just me and him. And then as I became a mom, then I started hanging out with more moms and things. And then once you have a kid, something happens and you're like, okay, I need to make sure that this child knows God, you know. And so I started a group. I started a group. It was called the Praying Wives Club. And we met the first Friday of every month. And our purpose was to be nurturing moms, loving wives, and to remember that we were daughters of the King. And so we would come together every first Friday of the month. And God would just give me topics for us to talk about. And we built each other up. And that was my community. Wow. Heard a lot of things. Dignity, respect, value, affirmation, purpose, Mm -hmm. and all of that. There's word out on the street. You've got this group that you haven't stopped, that you're a convener of people on a journey of transformation, soul care. Tell us a little bit more about what is soul care? How did it come about? And what are you learning about sustaining a community of people on purpose, not just existing, not just doing stuff, but they're fulfilling themselves? Soul care came about in, I think it was about 2017, 18. I was on staff at a church and there was a lot of transitions happening there. And I was, I was a children's pastor on staff and it was amazing. And I was 2000% wound up in the title. That's who I was. My title was who I was. And then some things started to happen with leadership and things like that. And it just made me question, well, who am I outside of this? And then it was just like, well, I have no idea. And we had a group that came from the Soul Care Institute and they were the pastors to the pastors. And so we would meet and everything. And um, one of them came to me and said, you know what? You get it. You really get the move of the Holy Spirit. You should come be part of the Soul Care Institute. And I was like, well, what is that? And so got the information, ended up being part of a two-year cohort that was in North Carolina went there quarterly for a whole week and experienced things like silence and solitude, things that I had never wow. known about. That can Re- be scary for some people. Mm-hmm. Yes. Silence and the first and solitude. One, yes. The oh first one was very scary. It was wow. like, what am I supposed to do? You know, learn about the fathers and the pilgrims and all kind of readings that I would have never done. And then from that, I said, so many people need this. But they can't get away from work quarterly for a whole week to go here to the institute and then fly and all this stuff, all the expenses that come with it. And when I was done, I said, I want to bring this to my community. I want to bring this to where people can have an experience where they can take care of their souls, not just get the knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of the Bible, but learn how to live it out and have that relationship. So God, I feel like he just downloaded it to me. It was the soul care group that comes together that I started. And I didn't know how to start it because I didn't have that community for a while. It was some years I didn't have that community because when you're in leadership, it's hard to have community for different reasons. And so someone suggested put a post on Facebook. And I was like, that is the dumbest thing. I'm not putting a post on Facebook. And then I felt that nudge from the Holy Spirit, put a post on Facebook. And I was like, okay, I did it. And it was between 30 and 40 ladies responded within a matter of hours that they were just longing for that because I said, I'm into something. Yep. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so from that is where we are now. It used to be Praying Wives Club. I took a, I did that for 13 years, took a 10 year break. And then now we're back at it again, first Friday of the month. And it's called Soul Care. And right now there are 12 ladies that are with me the first Friday of the month. And then my daughter, who's 28, she has her own group and that's a young adult group. And so I go and teach that group. And that's about nine ladies the third Friday of the month. So we have two two groups going on right now. For those that are listening who might say, I want to be in your soul care group, the next one, mm-hmm. give me a topic or two. What do you all talk about when oh, you're there and yeah. you got Holy Spirit with you and mm-hmm. God is moving? Yeah. What are you talking about? Some of our topics was, who am I? Big on identity. It all comes back to identity because if you forget who you are, people can influence you to be whoever they want you to be. So it's very interactive because like I said, as being a children's pastor, I am a hands-on person. So one time I had them, the topic was, who am I? And I had them, I said, bring a sock. And so they brought a sock. They put it in a bag outside the door. And then once they came in, I got the bag and took it around the room and told everybody, pull a sock out the bag, pull a sock out. Whose sock do you think that is? And they named, it was surprising how many of them named, I bet this is so-and-so's sock. I bet this is her sock. And some of them were right on point. And because, and I let that in to say, there are things that mark who you are and you don't even realize it. It's just who you are. And then we did the teaching, you know, about Ruth and Naomi and how you need to be attached to someone that's going to lead you to that next place, you know. And so she loved the faith that she saw. And she's like, I'm going with you. I'm not staying here. You know, I'm going with you after there. If you don't know the story of Naomi and Ruth and all of that in the Bible, she's like, I need to be with you. And that was that community, you know, and she wanted to be identified with that, even though her life had been peppered with pagan worship and all of that. And so we, so then that lesson taught them that everything about you can be pointed back to who you are. One person had been going through a divorce and she was just starting the process. And she said, I opened my drawer and all my socks were like black socks. And this is not me. She didn't know what we were going to do, but she was like, this is not me. And she went to Target and bought some socks and somebody identified that as her sock and she had just got it. And it's like, sometimes you have to be reminded of who you are and whose you are. Wow. So when you think, Andrea, about the work of City on a Hill and working with urban families, young people, heads of households, single moms, single dads, grandmas, just how do you think the work that you're doing in soul care and just your personal leadership in life, how do you think it could be helpful to apply that when you think about Milwaukee and households trying to get through the day-to-day, trying to find hope and sometimes what seems very dark days? What would you say to people who are sitting there crying out in their heart? Maybe they don't know they're crying out. What can you say about what the change that could be possible? I would say it's very good to be connected to a church, but not just being connected to say you go to church and make it a checklist. Oh, went to church today. You know, no, you need to be in your word because that's where the strength comes from. I stayed in Psalms. Psalms was like my book and I would just read it through. And it was nothing that anybody told me to do. I didn't want to read commentaries. I didn't want to read anything that man put together. I wanted to read what was inspired by God. And so I got my Bible and I would just read through Psalms. That worked for me. But then just starting, if you're like, who is even Jesus? Like, who is this? Reading the book of John and just read it, reading that through and then having that, asking God to give you that, even that one trusted person that you trust their opinion and you see the fruit of their life. You know, because some people it's like, I'm not following you because look at your life. It's a mess, you know. So finding someone that you can not idolize, but someone that can help you, that you see that they're on on the path that you would like to be on and just coming alongside them 
if you need that, you know, but if you are strong enough and can do it yourself and just sitting with God and let him pour into you, that's what worked for me. But I know that's not for everyone. Some people need that community, but finding a church that is not just, uh, oh, what are you wearing? How big is her hat? You know, that she's wearing, but one that is a Bible believing we're going to dig into the word type of church. So you shared about a loss in your life fairly recent pretty significant that you're here mm-hmm. you're still leading these ladies you're still doing you you found your purpose you talked about joy one of our core values is wisdom we define that as truth that is experienced lived out found through the word of god but also shared and the more you share it the more wisdom spreads mm-hmm. so what wisdom would you bring about how somebody who may have experienced a loss or a major event in their life and they feel like they're in a pit they can't quite find their way out What wisdom would you give? What additional thing might you say to comfort them, to counsel them in this moment if they're listening? It's funny you ask that because I feel like God has given me something that I hope to teach, not I hope, something I will teach at some point, and it's on the acronym of grief. And it's God really is extremely faithful if you let him be, you know? So yeah. I just saw that in the kind of shirt. Mm -hmm. Okay, oh there's God, the merch. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yep. God yeah. really is extremely faithful. And that's what he's been for me. You know, he is faithful if that's what you run to. Some people run to alcohol, some run to drugs, some run to people. I received several invites to the grief. I think it's called Grief Share, which is a place where people that have had significant lo- or had loss can go and just be together. I chose not to do any of that because I don't want to wallow and what I've experienced. I want to grow from it. And to me, those experiences aren't growth for me because it really keeps you in that mode. You know, I've heard some absolutes, you know, of, yeah, you're all holidays are always going to be hard. Oh, yep. At night is always going to be hard for you. And I was like, I come against that. Just because you said that? No, come on, Jesus. It's not going to be. This is going to be holidays are going to be fun. I still have my girls. I still have family, you know, all those things and not focusing on the one thing that is lost, but the things that are still ahead. And so that's what I would say, you know, knowing that, yep, this was a loss. This is a mark in your life, but there's so much more that God has for you. And there's so much growth that you can, that can come from that if you are ready to embrace it. But coming back to, you know, the whole grief teaching that that will be, you know, it'll just show how to lean on him and not lean on others. They mean well. Yeah. You've got two exceptional young ladies as daughters. Mm-hmm. We at our youth center, after school, you start work with a lot of incredible young people, a lot of girls of color. When you think about that generation, the younger generation, and what Milwaukee needs for them to help them find confidence, purpose, a vision for their future, what are maybe principles that you've used with your daughters that you think would be important for us and just those listening to think about in raising exceptional daughters who are going to be incredible leaders whatever they choose to be. Right, right. I would say my biggest thing is consistency. I always tell people it's consistency from when they are born till they're adults or even past adults, but being that being consistent, like I'm not going to say you can do this one day and the next day I'm going to say you can't do it. You know, I remember when we would go somewhere and my girls, one of them had a temper tantrum in the middle of the store and it was like, 
nope, we do not do that. We don't do that. At, we're not doing that. And it's not trying to perfect their their behavior. It's about getting to the root of what's going on. So, so many times I think that as parents, we want to to handle what the discipline of the action that we see when we want it, when we need to get to the root of what's really going on. And so, and that takes time and parents sometimes don't have time or don't want to take time to do that. There was a book that I did study after I was in the midst of raising my girls. And I was like, I did that. And I didn't even know I was doing it. And it's called shepherding the heart of a child. And that really is getting to the root of what's going on. So, okay, you're having a temper tantrum in the middle of the floor. Why in the store, on the floor? Why am, why, what is she, why is she doing that? You know, is she hungry? Is she sleepy? Did I bring her out at the wrong time of the day? You know, looking like, what did I do in that? I taught something called star parenting back years ago. And it was stop, think, ask, and respond. And it's like, stop, whatever is doing, don't respond. Don't I'm writing notes. Hold on. Stop what you're doing. Right. Why, now, 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 stop what you're doing. Don't immediately respond. You know, now respond out of don't react, respond. I'm just going to pick you up off the floor and then and then ask those questions. Is she hungry? Is she sleepy? Is she those things? And then it's just like, yeah, just stop, think, ask and respond. And so I think that really helped me. You know, I didn't react to, to things. And if I knew she was safe, like if she was having a temper tantrum at home and she was safe and everything, fine, go ahead. You can, I don't know why you're doing that, but go ahead and have your temper tantrum. And then when she finishes, I'm like, are y'all done? And my one, she would do that and pull her little ponytail thing, you know, barrettes and everything out of her hair. And then I would say, okay, now pick them up and put them in my hand. And she would pick them up and put them in my hand. And I would say, no, you're finished. And she, yep, then come on, come sit on my lap. Something that I didn't do that a lot of people do, they ground their kids or they punish their kids. Go to your room, get away, go do that. That is where Satan can have a field day. If my girls did separation. something, yep, Rejection. separation, yep. Yep. When they did something, you're staying right here. And now they tell me that was worse than sending them to <laughs> their room. Nope. You're going to stay right here because I'm going to hug you. I'm going to love on you and everything to show that, yeah, you might have done something, but, you know, I still love you. Wow. No one messes with Miss Andrea. <laughs> I love it. We love it. So is there anything that you wish I would have asked you that I didn't? And would you just lean into that final question or anything final you want to say? That's a big question. I would say live a life with no regrets. Mm. Wow. Well, with that, we'll just ponder on that. Yep. Thank you, Andrea, for You're coming. Welcome. We appreciate your contributions. You're welcome. God bless. Thanks for your time and attention. Through the inspiring stories of courage, wisdom, generosity, and joy, we demonstrate how City on a Hill and our network is advancing justice and working towards a world free from poverty. This work highlights the cultural pillars of City on a Hill, loving, listening, learning, and leading. We can't do what we do without you. Remember to join the email list to stay in the loop on the important work City on a Hill is doing in your community. Till our next dive, stay courageous.